like taking your blood pressure. Uh, it's like looking at a finance metric. It's going to give you really one point of information, but it's just a point on this kind of overall, much more complex system. Hello, and welcome to Heart, Soul, and Data, the podcast where we explore the human side of analytics to amplify the impact of nonprofits and social enterprises. With me, your host, Alexandra Mannerings. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Searing. I was wondering if you could introduce yourself for everybody. Sure. Um, my name is Elizabeth Searing. I am an assistant professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. I've been here for about a year and a half. And before that, I was an assistant professor at the University of Albany in upstate New York, where I also ran the Institute for Nonprofit Leadership and Community Development. Um, so I'm fortunate enough to both teach about nonprofit management and financial management and have the opportunity to do a lot of work in the community. So I try and bring those two together as often as possible. I think that that's a really critical thing because it's at, speaking as a sort of reformed academic, right? I, I did my PhD that it's easy to end up in the, the ivory tower and forget some of the realities of the world outside. So that's really wonderful that you get to have a foot in both camps and, and see the, the realities of both and the strengths of both and bring them together. And I think that they build on each other as well. So you're able to ask, especially in nonprofit management, really well-informed and interesting questions because you've seen how all of the theoretical things unravel when they try and get implemented. And so I think that adding them together makes both better. Absolutely, because the academics can really add some um, research rigor and insights that come out of that research to help see things that it's hard to sometimes see on the ground. But then when you actually get to put it in practice, you can say, well, that sounded nice in the lab. Here's actually how that went down and we need some help in these ways. So that's great. You get to ask. I like that. You get to ask really well-informed questions. We're big on asking good questions around here. Fabulous. I'm in the right place. Yes. So that's what I'm, I'm really excited to have you here to talk about this idea of the financial management of nonprofits from a data point of view. I've, I've had um, the, the lovely opportunity to speak to a few other people about some maybe not so good metrics that we bring to the table when we talk about nonprofit financial management. And so I'd like to just start with you know, how are nonprofits, and to some extent social enterprises, but they're a different beast into themselves, how are they different from for-profit entities, especially when we're talking about like financial management and financial metrics that we should use with them? Well, I think that some of the differences are almost foundational. Um, and one of the things that we need to remember about finances is that they're really just a piece of the overall organization. So they are like, you know, like, like taking your blood pressure. Uh, it's like looking at a finance metric. It's going to give you really one point of information, but it's just a point on this kind of overall, much more complex system. And so just thinking fundamentally about the difference between the two, I think that the first big difference is that compared to what I'll call for-profit finance, uh, nonprofit finance is almost inverted because there's this disconnect sometimes between the payer and then the receiver of whatever it is that you produce. And so if we were just selling hamburgers, 
um, then we would make a hamburger and then, uh, you know, someone would give us cash, we would give them a hamburger and, you know, the deal is done. And then uh, as the community wanted more hamburgers, we would produce more. Um, uh, but for, for nonprofits, that gets really kind of different in that, one, there's almost unlimited demand for what it is we produce. So demand isn't what's driving what we're doing. Really, revenue is what drives the amount. Um, and that revenue is potentially unhooked from the people that consume the service. And so even at kind of the base market exchange kind of level, things are really different for nonprofits. Um, the second is that the revenue itself is more complex. So it's not just about sales. Now I understand, you know, I've, I've been in the for-profit sector, you know, product differentiation and all of that. We, we can have some complex stuff going on. But on the nonprofit side, there's earned revenues, there's donations, there's investment income, there's you know, contracts, all of these different things going on. Um, and then sometimes the revenue types don't even like each other, like they fight. Uh, there's this phenomenon called uh, crowd out, where uh, the donations um, to an organization tend to go down once government funds are added in. Um, and there's debate in the nonprofit literature about whether and to what degree that happens. And so the notion that that revenue types would actually uh, react against each other in your own organization, I think, is just wild. Um, uh, third, even the words sometimes mean something a little bit different or carry like this baggage. So especially the word profit, there are such strong feelings about the word profit it's just a word that means revenues minus expenses, but because we are most often called a nonprofit sector, then there's this thought that we shouldn't be having this profit thing, despite the fact that revenues minus expenses, all, all that means is that we've got enough at the end of the day to, to save for tomorrow. So nonprofit doesn't mean non-savings. Um, but, but that can be the way that it's interpreted. And then finally, really even the notion of what succeeding is, is different. Um, in for-profits, it's about maximizing earnings per share, but for nonprofits, it's about really more delivering on our mission. And sometimes that, you know, may not involve scaling. It may not involve becoming bigger, which is kind of uh, anathema to, to the way that a lot of for-profits think. Um, and we want to do more than just survive. We want to keep delivering and providing for our mission. So, uh, you know, ideally every nonprofit would be so wildly successful that we would put ourselves out of business um, because our mission will be accomplished. There's no hunger, there's no war and we're done. Um, and very, for, very few for-profits can say the same thing. So even just down at the base level, we are looking at some very, very different mechanics that are then tracked by the finances. I interviewed someone who worked for the Parkinson Foundation and he said when he joined, he's like, I really would love that the next time I get laid off, it's because we cured Parkinson's. Yes. <laughs> and that's actually a really great point that, right, if we do our work right, we should be then done with it. I thought it was interesting you talked about that separation between those who fund the work and those who receive the outputs of that work. That shows up a lot in healthcare too, with the whole health insurance model, right? That we have 
the insurers who for the most part are paying for care. There's a lot of other complications in there. And then you have patients who are receiving care and then the providers who get paid by the insurance companies but provide care to the patients. And it makes that whole system so much more complex than, than any other system. And there's a great mix of for-profit and not-profit in there, which is like adds to that level of complexity. You know, I think it is really interesting that when we talk about all of these different pieces where we're saying, you know, what kind of revenue it is, that different kinds of revenue may not get get along together, right, that we might have words that mean something in one side and something in something else. And they may just have a calculation, but then they have an emotional meaning that's different. And to follow up on that, there um, there is a, a professor that uh, that is at another school that actually the the sentiment was so strong that they don't even use the word profitable. They use the word profit able. Um, and uh, it's, I mean, there are some strong feelings that come with it. And it's interesting because like I said, it's just numbers. And yet those emotions are very real and they can really, they can impact the decisions that people make off even using those numbers or putting those numbers forward, right? If you're even measuring it or talking about it. So I think that's a really important piece is that it's not just about, okay, what metrics do we need, but how are we as humans engaging with those metrics? Let's talk a little bit now in, into some of the details of the financial metrics that are currently in use around financial management and nonprofit and what works about that and maybe what doesn't work so well about that. Well, I think that, I mean, the, the entire notion of um, accounting ratio analysis especially started on, on the for-profit side of things. Mm-hmm. So they've been looking at this for almost 100 years um, in, in the for-profit academic literature uh, because both scholars and investors kept trying to predict both who the big winners were going to be, mm-hmm. but then also who those, I want to say big losers would be because that's kind of harsh, but but they wanted to know which companies were most likely to close. And so there was a lot of interest in formulating these predictive models for who was going to uh, skyrocket and who was going to close. Um, And on the uh, closing side uh, for for for-profits, this was bankruptcy. But when we kind of started doing this on the nonprofit side, which was Say about 1993, there were a couple authors, uh, Tuckman and Chang, that started really putting together these predictive models for um, for a calamity befalling these nonprofit organizations. We couldn't even use bankruptcy really because you know nonprofits can declare bankruptcy, but it's definitely not as common as on the for-profit side. And so even when we sat down and started thinking about what to predict. We couldn't bring that over. And so we started inventing our own constructs. And the ones that you'll see most often are what we call financial vulnerability. Uh, so we don't predict bankruptcy um, uh, on the, the, for, the nonprofit side. We predict financial vulnerability. And that's got a couple of different definitions, normally depending on the data set that the scholar is using. Um, so it can be uh, financial vulnerability can be balance sheet insolvency. It can be a sharp decrease in their assets, um, but non, uh, different nonprofit scholars, including me, have looked at different ways of defining vulnerability and kind of the accounting ratios that you can use to predict who is going to end up kind of in that hot water. But I think that it's also important to keep in mind that the whole 
point of ratio analysis is really monitoring where you are in relation to other fixed points. So in that way, it's like navigating a ship, but you have to be very, very careful the points that you pick. So if you're navigating your ship and you know, you're watching a seagull that's just all over the place, then, then yeah, it's a point, but you're not going to get anywhere fast. Um, instead, you want something that is very, very useful to kind of the direction that you're going. And for nonprofits, we're, we're not across the whole sector, we're not really unified in a singular purpose. We're, we're not all trying to maximize that earnings per share. Um, so not only do we need to adjust for the structure of our organization when we start using these metrics, um, like whether or not we've got an endowment, which yes, is a, is a big pile of money, but it's generally a big pile of money we can't spend. You also need to adjust for what your goal is. Um, and so the best case here is to compare yourself to other nonprofits that are doing something very similar to what you're trying to do. Um, and this doesn't protect you from systemic issues like human services nonprofits as a whole, like everybody uh, generally has issues with um, delays in government contract payments. So it's not going to protect you from systemic issues like that, comparing yourself to other nonprofits, um, but it does keep you from making you mistakes. Um, and that is that if you found yourself dipping into your line of credit really often to cover payroll, uh, because you know you're, you're you're being paid re reimbursement contracts, then at least you know in looking at others that are providing similar services that it's not just you. You are going to have to do some brainstorming around how to ease your exposure to that, you know, to, to racking up debt. But but it's not a you thing. It's something that all of the other human services nonprofits are also dealing with, which I think is really meaningful when we start thinking about management. I feel like I might have to change the tagline of my podcast to you have to know where you're going first before you do anything <laughs> else because it comes up so often and it's so critical, right? You, I loved your analogy of navigating the ship. You have to know where you're trying to get the ship to, to be mm -hmm. able to even navigate it all. And then once you know where you're trying to get to, then you can start to think about what your points, reference points are going to help me get there the safest or the most efficiently. So I think that that's really important. Danger with that, danger with the E word though. So be, I would say be, yes, be careful with the, with the efficiency word. No, and that's, <laughs> well, that leads me to my next question, because even as I start to sort of think about the words of, you know, how do we qualify a successful journey? And this is what you were talking about that that's so challenging in nonprofits is that we have different definitions of success and we have different parameters on that success and different constraints on the ways that we can take to try to accomplish that success. So when we talk about ratio analysis, I think this is a really great thing to get into for some of us that maybe aren't as comfortable in the financial world, which would include me. What do we mean by ratio analysis? And then can we get into some of the examples of things we might use in that as reference points? When we say financial metrics, we tend to mean accounting ratios, which really at, at, the, at its most basic is just a fraction. So there is something in the numerator and there is something in the denominator and you read it as units of numerator per denominator. And so one of the examples that um, is, is fairly straightforward, it's a good solvency measure. Um, is the liability to assets ratio. Numerator on the top, we are going to have 
total liabilities or all the things that uh, you owe. And then in the denominator, we're going to have total assets or all of the things that you own. And so let's hypothetically say, use a very, very simple example. And I always encourage everyone to use very, very easy math just to make sure that you've got the concepts that I have $2 in liabilities and $1 in assets. So I've got a single dollar in my pocket and I owe you, Alexandra, $2. And so in calculating that ratio, we've got the two over the one. So doing the math, that means at the end of it all, we have $2 of liability per $1 of total asset. That's not exactly healthy. That means that I am in debt on balance, but that's the kind of really simple metric that accounting ratios are. And so I think that it's important for all of the, the talk that we have about accounting ratios that, and I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan, but they are very, very simple tools. They're like, they're like a thermometer. Thermometers are very insightful. They will let you know whether or not you have a fever, and that is important information. But really the best thing that that information commu that communicates is that you need to stop what you're doing and investigate further if you get a certain number back. So the thermometer is going to tell you whether or not you've got a fever. It's not going to tell you why. And so a single accounting ratio is going to tell you a little bit of insightful information, but you should be using multiple accounting ratios and you should never just stop at the ratio. It's always a, it's letting you know whether or not you are okay to go or whether you should investigate further. So they're, they're useful, but they are definitely not an end-all be-all. They are just the start of the mystery. I love that. It is so true that when we have these simple metrics, they are very, they're necessary, but not sufficient. So they, I love the thermometer example. And I think it's funny because I worked a lot in sub-Saharan Africa and the concept of fever in a place like Ghana is totally different because when it's 95 degrees and 95% humidity all of the time, having a raised body temperature does not mean the same thing as it does for me sitting here in Colorado with three, three inches of snow on the, out, on the ground outside. And so I think that that's the other piece to this is that yes, these indicators are important and their meaning is not set in stone. It doesn't mean as soon as you have this thing, that therefore always means X, Y, or Z. It means you just need to look into it further and to be very, very mindful of context um, as well. And the point of using a ratio rather than say just total amount of liability is that by itself, yes, the total amount of liability is another data point, but it's less informative without the context of the denominator the, of your assets. Because if you have a million dollars in liability, that could be good or bad based on, do you have $500,000 of assets or $50 million of assets? Yes, it helps. It, it gives a window of insight into your overall kind of capital structure. Um, and thinking about your financial statements, I mean, those also, that's, that's a summary of different data points. So it really is important when thinking about financial metrics, whether we're talking about ratios, whether we're talking about totals, there are definitely some, some best practices when, when dealing with these. So um, the, the first really would be that any, 
any kind of indicator like this, whether it's a ratio, whether it's you know just flat out total liabilities, it's best that it is collected and displayed over time. So especially with that, you know, liabilities, it doesn't matter if it's total liability or whether it's the liability to asset ratio. If I'm just knowing it for a year, I don't know whether or not we're getting healthier or getting more vulnerable. I really need to know what the trend has been in order to get a better kind of glimpse at, at the health of the organization. And so collecting that over time and then reporting that over time is, is good practice. And kind of coupled to that, never underestimate the power of a good chart or graph, especially when displaying things over time. And especially if you are you know, showing this to your board or, or a group of individuals that, that aren't like us, that really dig kind of all of these, uh, these financial management uh, details. Uh, being able to show the trend of something over time and then provide an explanation of what that means will really help sell uh, cases that are, are, are data heavy like this, like financial analysis. Um, also, uh, to, uh, to make sure that all of these are parts of a portfolio, um, that way you are not only looking at, for example, liabilities to assets, uh, which is a solvency measure, but you're also looking at a liquidity measure because it's important that not only are you tracking revenues, but you're also tracking cash flow, especially if you're using accrual accounting, uh, that you have a profitability measure um, so that you have an idea of whether or not, even though you're bringing in revenue, if you actually have a, a negative operating margin, then for every dollar of revenue you bring in, if it costs more to produce what it is that you're doing, um, then you may actually be losing money um, with, with each additional dollar of revenue. Um, and then having a growth measure, so knowing what direction you're headed. And I think that having some, um, some ratio picked that represents each of those four concepts would be a good start. Um, though there are an infinite number of, uh, of ratios, really just kind of depending on how detailed you want to get. Um, but I also think that no discussion of accounting ratios would be complete without mentioning really that, that there are shortcomings to this. Um, the reason that we are fascinated by things such as the overhead ratio, um, which has caused you know, nonprofits to essentially starve themselves uh, and their infrastructure down to practically nothing. The reason that we drink the sand um, and, and, and look to the overhead ratio is because we don't have industry-wide metrics of effectiveness. And so don't let the fact that you've got a great accounting ratio tracking system um, overlook the need for good verbal program level evaluation standards so that you can show how you're accomplishing mission and not just how you are using the money to do so, um, because that is how we're going to get away from an over-reliance on some of these accounting uh, standards and, and ratios. And I think that this is really helpful to have kind of a framework of thinking about, generally you need to measure these kinds of things, right? Like liquidity, profitability, though you can call it something else if profit triggers you, solvency, growth, and then you find a suitable metric from each of the, those bodies that are going to help inform you based on the operations that you have, particularly in your nonprofit or, or like I said, where you're trying to get to or the constraints that you have. 
then when we bring all of these things together though, how we apply them to the management of our nonprofit is equally critical, right? It's not enough just to have a compass heading. You also have to then say, okay, how am I gonna use this compass heading to adjust my sales? So when we talk about managing a nonprofit with enough finances, you have a great term about managing for resilience. So can we talk a little bit about how we as nonprofits might use these accounting measures, again, understanding their shortcomings and applying them with other pieces of informa information to, to make data-driven decisions about the management of our group that might be different than how our for-profit cousins might do this. I would love to talk about resilience. Um, and to, be, to be totally open, I have a, a book that is uh, just been turned into the publisher with uh, Dennis Young, who is a professor emeritus at Cleveland State University and Georgia State University, where we have been looking specifically at how to manage nonprofits for resilience. Um, we've spent a lot of time looking at financial management and kind of, especially uh, financial vulnerability. And uh, we, we noticed a few things when comparing the vulnerability literature on the, the for-profit side and the nonprofit side, aside from what I've already mentioned, the biggest one was that really nonprofits uh, are not only worried about survival, unlike for-profits where it's kind of a, your doors are open, your doors are closed um, decision. On the nonprofit side, we are really interested not only in what's called being a going concern, which means that we're going to continue to exist, um, but also that we are still able to provide services. So the, uh, the notion that we can just uh, in bad times kind of, you know, roll up the, you know, put the shades down and, and kind of weather it out is misleading um, because when we fail as organizations, when our organizations close, it's not just that we stop producing hamburgers. It's that the services that we've been providing need to be provided by another organization or people are going to go without. So for example, when the huge uh, human services nonprofit BEGS uh, closed in New York, yes, the organization closed, it filed for bankruptcy, but a lot of the scrambling around the closure of BEGS was making sure that all of the you know hundreds and maybe thousands of individuals that we're receiving services, potentially life-sustaining services from FEGS were able to be transferred to other organizations so that they could continue to survive. So I think having been through you know, a couple crises now and then COVID, Dennis and I were very, very interested in taking a step back and thinking about what could we do to inform this kind of different perspective, that it's not just about surviving, it's not just about, uh, it's not even about growing, it's not about scaling. Um, and Dennis and I are both active in social enterprise and entrepreneurship, so we, we, are, we are familiar with, uh, with that approach, but, but it really is about surviving and then continuing to provide. And so that takes a little bit of a reorientation on a couple things. Um, and uh, uh, the, the two big ones are uh, our risk, um, but we need to be more critical about how we engage with the concept of risk. And then we also need to be very critical of how we engage with the concept of time. And by that, I mean that nonprofit managers especially are 
prone to want to provide services today at the expense of potentially providing services tomorrow. So we are incentivized, we're, we're driven even to help solve today's problems, which makes pushing back against that um, nonprofit meaning non-savings, it makes pushing back against that hard because we are much more comfortable trying to solve today's problems than thinking about tomorrow. And so even though we know that not having savings is not financially healthy, since we're more comfortable in the space of providing for today, we haven't really been forced to engage that. And that's one of the things that we really encourage in this book is to think about the organization and your service recipients through time because it's not just about today. It's about keeping your organization going into the future until you are no longer needed, um, which is a, a very different perspective than uh, what we've been uh, researching and teaching um, up to this point. It's interesting because I think that the for-profit sector often gets dinged for being short-sighted, you know, that in the incentivized pursuit of profit, that they'll do things that increase profit short-term at the expense of their long-term well-being. So it's interesting that nonprofits are in a similar situation, but because of different incentives, right, and different metrics that they're using that oftentimes lead them into that. So what could be some of these guiding data points that an organization interested in more resilient management that they should be looking at and putting in place? Well, so I think that they are um, on the accounting ratio side. They are some of the ones that I mentioned earlier, how you need to be sure that you cover what I would consider to be the four, the four big bases, uh, the four big categories. Um, and that is uh, tracking solvency, whether it's something really broad, like, like the liability to assets, but really just kind of making sure that you are not insolvent so that you don't owe more money than, than you actually have. Um, because it's difficult to provide or, or think about the future if you are already in, uh, in debt over your head. Plus, having that kind of debt also means that you're having to pay out uh, the, the interest and, and things like that for upkeep. So it's not just a debt issue. It's also uh, you know, an expense kind of money outflow issue. issue. Um, and then you should be tracking your liquidity. Um, I had mentioned accrual accounting. Let me say, I don't want to scare anyone uh, by, by using accounting terms, but the main uh, one of the main differences in accrual accounting is that you, uh, you count the revenue uh, during the accounting period in which you earn the revenue, not necessarily the accounting period in which you get the cash for the revenue. And that's how it is different from uh, what's called cash or sometimes cash box accounting. So if I do everything that is required in order to uh, meet the standards of a contract for me to be paid um, this month, then I will be recognizing the revenue this month, even if I'm not actually going to be paid for another six months. Now, the, the interesting thing about that is that I, in fact, had to pay to deliver all of those services mm -hmm. this month. And so this is how it becomes very crucial to watch your liquidity mm -hmm. because 
organizations can have millions and millions and millions of dollars in revenue, like FEX, but still not be able to cover their expenses because the cash flow has been disconnected from, from the revenue streams. And so it's really important, especially if you ha- uh, work with the government um, or if you, especially if you follow accrual accounting, um, that, that you are tracking your liquidity just to make sure that you have the money to meet payroll. And sometimes it's not really about the government. I mean, they get kind of a, a bad name, even though they provide a lot of funding for, for human services. Sometimes, even if you are just entirely dependent on donations, it can be kind of a slim year there, up, you know, right until the, the end of the year, um, because so many nonprofit organizations will uh, benefit from year-end giving. And so right about October, things start getting kind of tight. You start maybe having to dip into the line of credit. This is why, um, why Woods Bowman, who is uh, uh, another nonprofit scholar whom, uh, uh, who passed away just a few years ago, he said one of the most useful uh, metrics in tracking financial health was actually five years of month-to-month usage of the line of credit. Because that will let you know if you are always dipping into your line of credit right about the same time of year that you should maybe be budgeting you know, your expenses uh, a little bit differently to get you through those lean months um, so that you don't have to dip in a line of credit and then have to start paying those interest expenses. Because a lot of nonprofits get into trouble and debt the same way that, that individuals get into trouble. And that is by using you know, the credit card for just a little bit, um, but then you don't pay it off. And then next year you have to use it a little bit. And pretty soon you've kind of got this big old pile of debt. So it's, it's important to, to track the liquidity. Um, it is important to track the, the profitability um, because so many of what we, what we do, we provide services that are like services that government provides only with the body of a private organization. So we produce governmenty things, but we can't levy taxes. So there's already going to be this tension because we're doing the hard work, but with a much more complicated uh, revenue structure. And so knowing whether or not we are um, making or losing money um, for every uh, dollar of revenue that we bring in is really crucial. Even if it just means maybe, you know, maybe we don't need to stop providing that service but maybe we need to do something called cross-subsidizing, which means that doing this activity over here, you know, running a soup kitchen is never going to, you know, is never going to zero out. You know, it's never going to be cost neutral. So instead, maybe we need to have something that's a little bit more uh, profit able um, on the other side, um, uh, you know, selling T-shirts or, or doing an, you know, an additional activity. And then we can use the proceeds for that to subsidize the soup kitchen. So it's more about understanding how the money is flowing into and out of your organization. And so I would recommend using a profitability measure both on the organization level and on the program level. Um, And then understanding growth. Um, And this is, you know, the percentage growth. It's, you know, look at your revenues, look at your expenses. Um, Knowing your trends, I think, is essential to understand. So it's not, we're not even talking about fixed points and, and charting the ship. This is just knowing how fast you're going. 
Um, so this will help you gauge direction, including whether or not you're growing and whether or not you even want to grow. I think especially for those of us that are running community-based organizations that having conversations with, with board members or potential funders that want us to scale and, you know, that's, that's not always the case. You know, if we're in a particular geographical area, we want to take care of, you know, the, the South Dallas community. Maybe we really just want to be really good and effective at taking care of the South Dallas community. Maybe we don't want to open it to all of North Texas. Talking about the profitability, both at the organizational level and at the program level is really interesting for nonprofits. Because like you said, if, if we go back to the McDonald's example, your expenses and your revenue are tied to the single thing you do, right? You know how much it costs you to buy the potatoes and you know how much you're selling the fries for. So you can say like, what's the the margin on that? And same with the hamburgers. And if you find out that it costs you $2 to make a hamburger and you can only sell a hamburger for a dollar, like you can identify that that's gonna be a problem that's going to lead you to, to not be sustainable. For the nonprofits, you know, there are some nonprofits like a museum where a lot of the revenue they get is from the service that they provide, right? They can sell tickets. They know how much it costs to have a visitor come maintain their buildings, whatever. But for another one, like a food bank, right? They're not charging anything for providing food to their clients. And so their revenue is 100% disconnected from the services that they're providing. And so that figuring that out at the program level becomes uh, there's an extra layer of complexity but it still is just as important because even if your food bank is not necessarily where your revenue is coming from it is where your expense is coming from and if it costs you more to to run that food bank than you bring in from anywhere else you aren't going to last i think about with my the hospitals that i work with a lot of the times they talk about no margin no mission so while we sometimes feel in nonprofit that that profit is a is a dirty word if you spend more money than you can bring in, you don't last. And then you cannot provide the services that you're trying to pr you know to provide. So I think that is a... And I think that's that's actually one of the main lessons. When And a lot of the students that uh, come to my classes are, you know, individuals that, you know, uh, have a, a full-time job doing some kind of, you know, service provision that they, you know, they may have a degree and... Uh, you know, psychology or social welfare, they are very good at providing the service that they are doing. Um, but then they get promoted. And now they need to start worrying about running an organization. And that was just not the training that they got when they were learning how to do what it was that they were doing. And so there is this fear almost of numbers and, and finance and, and this equation of money with the for-profit sector. And I think that that, I think that the, the no money, no mission, it's not no cutthroat capitalism, no mission. It's not, you know, no, no, not even no sales, no mission. It's, it's just about having resources, whether that is donations, whether it's contracts, whether it's earned revenues, it's, it's about having the resources to make your mission happen. It's just an, money is just an ingredient. We've just come up with a lot of really good, precise ways of measuring that ingredient. Um, but it is an ingredient nonetheless. And so none of us should be intimidated by, um, by money or talking about money in our nonprofit organizations. 
I couldn't agree more. I love that idea of thinking of money as an ingredient and we should be just as careful in how we measure that ingredient because you need the right amount right, for the, the cake that you're making. And if you're not using the, the most accurate metrics for that or you're afraid of a particular metric or you feel that a metric is, is somehow wrong for you to use because you're a nonprofit, then you're gonna have the wrong amount of that ingredient and you're cake's not going to rise or, or whatever the problem will be. Though there are some wrong metrics. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't go around calculating earnings per share. It just won't, it won't be meaningful and you don't have shares um, as a nonprofit. So, uh, so there are some that are, are just flat out not going to work, but, but others, it's really more about tailoring, um, you know, and, and don't compare yourself as a nonprofit to all of the other nonprofits. Find the ones that do what it is you do, um, and, and compare yourself to them, see, compare yourself to your peers. Um, uh, and so, uh, but, and I would also say again, it's not for all the, the money talk that we've had, you know, it's not just about the money. Um, so as much as the, the money needs to be, you know, tracked and, and, and treated as a resource, you do need to be also with all of this, uh, this, this information and organization and these you know, dashboards, which I think are, there's some really cool innovative dashboards and CRMs and software that are coming out to track all of this cool stuff. Um, also having a grasp on the non-monetary metrics that, that you can provide um, that chart how you're doing toward your mission, um, the better and more rigorous those metrics are um, the less people are going to want to purely rely on um, accounting ratios like, like overhead. Um, if you can show that you are making a difference, then that's really what counts. And so the, the accounting ratios are important, but definitely don't only rely on the accounting ratios when trying to make your case. And this is true with so many of the things that we we measure again they're necessary but not sufficient you do not want to rely solely on your financial metrics because then all the decisions you make are going to be driven by your financial situation and you don't exist to just manage money <laughs> you as a nonprofit are trying to accomplish something in the world so the number one thing you should be measuring is your outcomes you know, are you doing what you said you would do in the world are you making a difference in that thing and in order to do the best that you can in that in in achieving those outcomes having things to keep you on track like your financial metrics or like your volunteer management or like your development metrics those are all then important to to feed you along your way to accomplishing those those outcomes for a smaller nonprofit listening to this you know probably the bigger ones have some of these in place though maybe they're not using them quite as effectively as we've talked about i think sometimes the smaller ones either kind of have their blinders on and haven't wanted to think about this, or it's a bit of a scattered approach. What would you recommend a good action that we could take, you know, in the next month to move us towards this resilient financial management data? What could they do? Get organized. I bet that even the smallest nonprofit already has a bunch of information, a bunch of data that about what it is that they do, whether that is, uh, you know, the email that you've sent to uh, potential donors or potential service recipients or the receipts from when you, you know, bought things at the store to put in the backpacks. You have all of these things. Spend the time getting organized and starting to put together a system of tracking these, whether we're talking about the money and those expenses, 
Um, whether we're talking about the impacts, you know, how many of those backpacks did you hand out? And then once you've got a system organized, then kind of start branching out into, okay, so this is what the receipts are. I still, you know, I can see how many, how much I spent last year in receipts. I want to double the impact next year. And so let's put together a budget on what that will look like. Um, or stepping back from the, the money, then let's look at, okay, we have, uh, we, we served 60 students. I want to know whether or not actually handing out these backpacks, whether the students are still using the backpacks. And so putting together some, uh, you know, survey or something like that, or you know, an observation for the teachers to do or, or something to, to see whether or not the backpacks are still in use. If, uh, if you're, if you're able to track that tracking less output and more outcome. So, so much of this is they're, they're easy. Um, it doesn't require any fancy equipment. You know, you don't have to have the brightest, shiniest technology. What you do have to have is, is the time, which I understand. Sometimes it, it feels like it's easier to get the bright and shiny technology. Um, but, but really investing the time in organizing the data that, that I know you already have. Um, uh, would would be the, the best thing to do. And then start thinking about how to put that together into financial statements or ratios or annual reports. Um, and, and then you'll be able to do it so much easier year after year kind of moving forward. And it's that, that information over time. That's the golden stuff. Um, that they get you impact, they get you funders, and it helps you make a difference. And it can feel very daunting to try to tackle that organization to start with. But by saying, all right, what do I already have? Where is it? Where does it live? How can I bring it together? You'll start to find ways that you can automate some of that, right? Whether it's, you know, is investing in a little piece of software or something that helps you with that automation or setting up a really good Excel spreadsheet doesn't have to be fancy. But once you get organized, you know where things are coming, you can schedule it in and make the time to, to manage that. Like you said, then you'll start to realize how many riches you do actually have in your data and you can put them to work to help you then start to accomplish your goals and, and head the direction that you want. I think that's one of the one of the things that has become uh, kind of a sea change in big data. Like everyone has heard of big data. Um, and and the, the, the problem is that we we now have gone from not having enough data in most situations to what in the world are we going to do with all of this data? So uh, most of us have a lot of data already. It's all about just putting it into uh, useful systems and structures and reports and, and things like that to, to make it work for us. Um, because I know that a lot of us, just like money, you, we, the, the word data can cause you know, heart palpitations. Like I know I should be tracking data and program evaluation and, and just, you know, we start hyperventilating. Um, you've got the data. I assure you, you've got the data. Just start organizing it and tracking it. Keep note of the data you wish you had and start tracking that. And, and that's really the biggest, scariest, most important step, uh, whether we're talking about finances or whether we're talking about program outcomes. It's about setting up the system, getting organized, and everything gets easier from there. 
it is true. I definitely have people who, you know, eyes start to twitch when they hear data because it feels so overwhelming. And and I like that we laid out, you know, earlier on those four groups of accounting metrics for us to pay attention to. We talked about having an outcomes goal that you want to be looking at as well. So if you're feeling overwhelmed by all of your data, you could start just by organizing those things, right? Let me just see what am I achieving and what is it taking to achieve that? And am I going to be sustainable? Like, can I keep doing this thing? And, and if the rest feels too overwhelming to tackle, you don't have to do it right away. If you can get those pieces in, in place, that's, that's going to be a really, really great lift for you um, already. And then you can start to tackle the other pieces as you, you know, discover free time somewhere. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for this. I, I have learned a tremendous amount. I think listeners will as well. So I appreciate so much your time um, and your expertise on this because these are such important topics that sometimes we don't feel comfortable talking about. Well, for better or for worse, I absolutely adore talking about this. So if there are any other questions, always feel free to reach out. Um, you can find me uh, online, either my official website at UT Dallas, uh, where you can email me, or my webpage, which is uh, www.elizabethamsearing.info, um, and you'll be able to contact me that way as well. Um, but, uh, but yes, thank you so much for, for inviting me uh, and giving me an excuse to talk about this. Um, I really enjoy it. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're very welcome. You have been listening to Heart, Soul, and Data. This podcast is brought to you by Moroccanos, an analytics education, consulting, and data services company devoted to helping nonprofits and social enterprises amplify their impacts and thrive through data. You can learn more at moroccanos.com, M-E-R-A-K-I-N-O-S.com.